Hello, I'm Arvid Hickman, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. In this episode, we are going to take a deep dive headfirst into the metaverse. In the past year, few technological developments have excited the media and advertising industry as much as these immersive three-dimensional virtual worlds. A CNBC report suggests more than $500 million was invested into virtual properties last year, while millions more has been pumped into VR films. And of course, fuel forget Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse sales pitch. The Facebook founder and boss is so convinced of its potential that he has changed the name of his parent company to Meta and is betting heavily on the metaverse being the future of the internet. But what exactly is the metaverse? How can brands engage with it? And will the hype ever live up to expectations? What is the role of gaming, NFTs and brands in this exciting 3D pixelated new space? Or conversely, will the metaverse go in a similar way to Second Life, a virtual game set up in the early 2000s that companies bought into but quietly fizzled away? To explain this and much more, I'm joined by three experts. Karina Moran is Head of Strategy at Yahoo UK, Sam Field is the Director of Creative Technology at Yahoo Riot Lab, and Max Asquith is the Global Innovation Partner at iProspect. Welcome to you all. Hi. Good to be here. Thank you very much for having us. Most welcome. Karina, I'd like to start off with you. Firstly, what is Yahoo's interest in the metaverse? Well, our interest in the metaverse is something, you know, that has really grown kind of in leaps and bounds over the last few years, obviously propelled massively by the pandemic. But we've been talking about kind of this space for a long, long time. And as a global company, you know, we've invested quite heavily within the creative tech sphere. Um, Obviously, you know, we're very interested in gaming space. A natural leap kind of from all the things and, and discussions that we've been having with partners out in the market or the campaigns that we've been running, really kind of the next step on that is, is, you know, what we can do with brands within the metaverse. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about gaming. So I think when a lot of people sort of visualize the metaverse, um, they think automatically about gaming and all these different platforms. Can you sort of give us a bit of context and background about the role that gaming plays in the metaverse? Yeah, I, I think the metaverse can be a very scary term for lots of people. Um, it seems like something is just suddenly upon us and, you know, you can't really open your emails without, you know, seeing metaverse referenced in any kind of newsletter that comes through. But actually, when we think about it, and we break it down, you know, it really is an evolution of things that, you know, we're already doing behaviors that already exist. And actually, gaming is, is a really interesting, you know, place to start when you think it, it really is the, the parent of the metaverse. And it's done an awful lot of the, you know, the groundwork in terms of, you know, the infrastructure that exists. It's not only created that infrastructure, but it's tested it over many, many years. If we think of things like cloud streaming, cloud gaming, and actually the behaviors, you know, that we're used to within the gaming space. So things like real time that, you know, we can log on to a console and connect with people anywhere around the world at any time and and interact with them in, in kind of real time. But then also there's, you know, the social elements of gaming that we've seen progress over the last few years, but have been massively propelled um, since the pandemic in, in terms of what consumers are really going to gaming platforms to do. And, and you know, in recent years, we've seen um, the popularity of games, Fortnite, Animal Crossing, Roblox, you know, just to name a few. But 
these games are now gaining mass popularity, but they've really all been developed with kind of this social element at the heart of them. And, and that's something that I think is really interesting as kind of a stepping stone then for the metaverse. You know, it doesn't seem like that big of a leap when we think of the infrastructure being in place, the you know real-time nature of gaming platforms. But then if you think of the, the demand that people now have post-pandemic, you know, to connect with people and, you know, to make friends in these spaces, well, actually the metaverse then seems like quite a natural next step from there. Yeah, Max, it's a really interesting point that Karina raises about some of the confusion around what the metaverse actually is. Uh, you know, who owns it? Who runs it? Can you give us a really simple layman's definition of what the metaverse is and why brands should care about it? I will do my best. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I work in an innovation role. And what that essentially means is you know, tracking trends, understanding them, um, and then almost being a bit of an interpreter or translator for them, um, trying to simplify them for, for people. So I will do my best to simplify this. And I think the, the, the most kind of basic way to think about it is as a collection of virtual experiences. And those could be games, they could be gaming, or they could just be more kind of immersive websites than we, we've currently got. And I think importantly, there is the potential for those virtual experiences to be underpinned by data, by commerce. And there's a huge amount of exploration that's happening there at the moment. But there's still a huge amount to learn. And I think the, the thing for me and maybe, you know, the, the way in for brands, I think is maybe most kind of exciting for this is that it's a space, a new space to learn, to test and ultimately try and find new ways of fostering relationships with consumers. And that could be in how um, people engage with new forms of content. It could be how they engage or, or purchase virtual products or attend virtual events. Um, and I think that that storytelling angle is really interesting as well. And, you know, the sky is the limit when it comes to creativity. But I think for, for consumers, for, you know, the people that buy our, our products, the exciting thing is to be able to drive the narrative of what a brand wants to tell them. So kind of non-linear journeys that, you know, through a virtual experience that's provided by a brand that, that you admire. So almost to kind of summarise in hopefully simple terms, the metaverse is opening new boundaries for all brands, new opportunities to innovate, to test, to learn, whether that's across creative, um, in the data approach, and ultimately, you know, connecting with the person at the other end. Okay, so I'm going to give you a crack at this as well. What's your definition of the metaverse? And I guess some of the, the back end side of it, because, um, you know, if you, if you read media, you might you, it might be thought that certain people or certain companies own that space, but that's not the case, is it? No, well, I, th I think the first thing to say is that there is no single agreed upon definition of the metaverse, and there's going to be nuance in any answer that anyone gives. And, and my view is that we're really looking at the convergence of the internet as we know it today, social media, XR, gaming, and the blockchain. And the reason it's so prevalent now is that that collection or many of the connections of those technologies, enabling technologies, are reaching maturity, right? And that's been accelerated by the pandemic and has been enhanced by everyone being a lot more comfortable with the sort of digitization of our lives. Right? We're much more used to, as Karina said, we're much more used to living in this world, whether that's for work or social or play. So futurist and the godmother of the metaverse, Kathy Hackle, talks about it in in quite interesting, simple terms. And she talks about saying that the 90s brought us Web 1.0, which connected us to information. The noughties came along and brought Web 2.0, which connected people through social media. So we all became publishers of, of content ourselves. And now 
we're moving into Web 3.0, which is connecting people, places, and things, which, which basically means our digital lives are now core to who we are in the real world and what we own, physically or digitally, or both, can exist wherever we show up digitally. And that's that's the, the, the difference of going from kind of gaming and social platforms into these new sort of Web3, metaverse, whatever you, you want to call it. Um, so your kind of metaverse life isn't limited to virtual reality or even an alternate reality necessarily. It, as long as it's continuous and shared and interconnected, it can count as a metaverse ecosystem. Um, so flowing from VR to 3D browser experiences to augmented reality, social media, you know, and I think now blockchain is playing a huge role in becoming the key to being it being interoperable and having an agreed upon currency, you know, often through NFTs. Um, and that's giving the opportunity for users to have basically one password for their entire digital lives. And that's what they're calling the kind of the great unlock um, opportunity. So there's kind of this, this, this big battle between these centralized platforms and decentralized platforms. Mm. Um, centralized being owned and operated by companies and organizations who control that ecosystem. Roblox, Fortnite, Microsoft, Niantic, you know, Meta, um, potentially with Wall Gardens. So you could argue, are they interoperable? I think at some point they will become more interoperable and will step into that space. And then you've got the decentralized platforms who are owned and operated by its members and users like Decentraland, the Sandbox, Crypto Voxels, Somnium space. And I think that's going to be a really interesting battle to see how they come together, yeah. Mm. Karina, quite a lot of our listeners will have some experience, probably limited experience, of wearing VR goggles, playing games, being in these immersive spaces. But I guess that, that can be quite a different experience depending on what you like doing, can't it? I mean, I love Red Dead Redemption too, and I can imagine wearing VR goggles and playing that would be quite a different experience to someone who might play a game that's a bit more like Roblox. Uh, could you sort of give us a bit of a description or help our listeners understand what a day in the life of a person living in the metaverse might look like? Yeah, that's a really good question and probably one of the easiest ways to try and kind of break it down and understand all the different touch points that exist within the metaverse, as Sam and Max kind of just alluded to, you know, it's not just going into one kind of immersive space, it's actually how that it integrates with your current life and your real life and, of course, different platforms. So I guess if we're, if we're kind of thinking about, say, take my, my typical day, this is a typical day in the life of Karina, <laughs> I might wake up, as I actually do, check social media. And I might see an ad for a pair of sunglasses. I might want to try them on in different colors, see what, you know, suits my face. And I can do that using augmented reality. I might decide, yeah, perfect. I'm going to buy these. I'm going to buy them in real life, but I'm also going to buy them virtually. And because I have such a, a stash of cash sitting in my blockchain wallet, I might use a cryptocurrency to purchase them. So what that will mean is my real life ones will be sent to me and my virtual ones I'll have almost instantaneously. So I can log on to my, you know, work laptop. I can join a call with Sam and then I can say oh Sam do you want to see my new glasses I just bought and I can put them on into in the form of a filter on our on our call I then at lunchtime you know might decide I want to play a game on my Xbox and actually I'm, I'm going to play in the form of an avatar but my avatar can wear the same sunglasses that I've purchased this morning that I've shown Sam and then because of the speed of the UK postal system my sunglasses might arrive say the next morning um, and I can go for a run wearing these the, these new sunglasses and because they're AR enabled 
um, as you kind of referenced, you know, what I might decide to do is actually mix up my run today and maybe I'm going to run against, you know, a virtual version of myself to try and beat my score or my, or my fastest times from yesterday. Or I might, you know, decide, actually, I want to run against a, a, von- a zombie apocalypse that maybe is chasing me. And, and I guess that's kind of when, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of the things that you can do. Um, and then kind of as your day goes on, you know, you can wear your normal sunglasses out with friends, but maybe actually you might come home and, and, and join something like the Metaverse Festival. And this is, you know, where it really kicks it up a level. And actually you might have access to a specific or an exclusive after party because, you know, actually there's an NFT associated with the sunglasses you've just bought and that gives you access, you know, that maybe no one else has. So there's, there's lots of, and, and I guess there's lots of different ways, you know, a, across the day, and this will be very different for each person. And, you know, this is only kind of the tip of the iceberg to see how this evolves. Obviously, you know, most people aren't having zombies chase them as they go for their run, but gives you an idea of kind of what the potential is um, in this space as it kind of progresses over time. Uh, Sam, you know, that sounds like a pretty intense day uh, for most people, particularly if you uh, own sunglasses and if you like being chased by zombies. In in terms of uh, brands, are there any brands that are that are really interesting things in this space? I appreciate it's still early days, but have you got any sort of good examples um, that you could share? The response to Adidas's entry into the market has actually been really, really positive, and that's not always the case when brands enter a new space like this. And I think that the reason for that is they really took the time to be authentic and to understand and invest in the community that they were looking to engage. So they, they bought into Metaverse or they bought into NFT projects that resonated with them and they felt resonated with their audience. So they bought NFTs like Board Ape Yacht Club, um, Punk's Comic. They, they partnered with talent like sort of influencer talent in the space like G Money. And they did all of that before they launched their own NFT project. And because they did that and because they bought into the IP and they understood it and they gave back to that community first, they were, had a much more receptive audience when they did launch their product or their project. And they made $20, $24 million overnight by doing so. So um, a, pretty good, a pretty good ROI. But, but then not everyone has added assets budgets. Not everyone has a chief metaverse officer on, on their books either. Um, so, yeah, so what we've, what we've tried to do is to help brands to embrace emerging tech trends and, and integrate it into their brand storytelling, whether that's XR, virtual production, gaming, or, or Web3. So I think it's important that, you know, you start by creating compelling, immersive brand experiences designed for the audience you're looking to reach. And it doesn't always have to be Gen Z companies. You know, we've uh, we've built immersive shopping experiences for Selfridges and Pokemon with, with a streetwear designer called Charlie Cohen. Um, we even worked with an immersive retail experience with John Lewis, which kind of put the audience inside the TV commercial. Um, we've created an avatar campaign for Warner Brothers for the release of June, which meant you could wear the costumes from the film across over a thousand games across the metaverse. And then you know, more recently we, we partnered with, with Max and the team um, and helped them create the after party for the first ever metaverse festival in Decentraland for the whiskey brand Monkey Shoulder. And then all of them were very different. Some of them knew what they wanted. Some of them were open to new ideas, but all of them were interested in understanding the community first, taking risks, being agile and kind of jumping in with both feet and, kind of rolling with it as their first kind of entry into this space. Max, you obviously helped uh, Sam and and his team with some of these activations. Can you give our audience just a few more details, a bit more colour in terms of where they lived, what they looked like, how how you sort of engage with brands and also their audiences? 
Sam mentioned Monkey Shoulder, which is a, a brand very close to my heart and a brand that I've worked on for a few years. And, and I'd like to talk a bit more about that, because also I think it's important to understand not just what they did, but also the history and where they, they how they led up to that as well. Because for a lot of brands, you know, it can be a bit daunting. You know, what is the metaverse? What do we do? And and understanding where you've you've got to or where, kind of where you are right now will help inform what your your future direction looks like. So um, Monkey Shoulder is part of the, the William Grant & Sons portfolio. They are an independent family-owned um, uh, distiller. Their, their portfolio includes Grant's, Glenfiddich, uh, Tullamore Dew, Hendrix Gin, um, and a few more that people will be uh, familiar with. And William Grant & Sons as an organisation and their brands have always had a really close relationship with the bartender community. You know, these are the people that almost create the brands they create the success of their brands mm-hmm. and back in the the early 2000s i think it was um the william grant and sons organization uh, noticed that there was a rise in bartenders mixing bourbon in cocktails but if you were to go back 15 years ago that was almost kind of unheard of it wasn't really the done thing because there was some kind of pretension to the category almost don't mix this in your cocktail you must have it with one ice cube or nothing at all um, and so on the back of that relationship with with bartenders, there was a space for a new whiskey in the market. And it's something that was made for mixing. And that's where Monkey Shoulder came up. A really high quality liquid, a really high quality product, but purposefully designed so that bartenders could have something to, to play with. So um, fast forward to today um, and... You know, Monkey Shoulder has still got a really tight bond with bartenders and brand ambassadors. And before the pandemic, they hosted these kind of mini festivals every year where they got people along and did like educational courses and parties and all this kind of stuff. But generally to kind of reward and 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 celebrate you know, those close connections of those communities. Um, during the pandemic, obviously, they couldn't do that. So we started to shift those real life experiences, real life events into virtual environments. Um, You know, these were kind of video calls, that kind of thing. But over the course of the pandemic, we started to innovate a bit more. We also started to open up those to new audiences, to to kind of cocktail or or, or whiskey enthusiasts. And we saw really great success. And so the metaverse and digging into that felt like a real natural segue for the brand. Uh, You know, as people are spending... um, more time in these virtual spaces. It's really important for a brand like Monkey Shoulder to understand what their role is within that. The festival itself was quite an interesting opportunity. So Monkey Shoulder being made for mixing, their kind of natural space they play in is music and with DJs, and they've got some great long-standing relationships with DJs, including uh, Crafty Cuts and A-Skills, which I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with. Um, And so when Sam mentioned this, after-party opportunity with Decentraland, it felt absolutely kind of perfect for the brand. And then, sorry, just, just just for the benefit of our, our listeners, uh, what is what is Decentraland and how large is it? Um, yeah, I mean, well, Sam, you probably do a better job of explaining what Decentraland is. Yeah, it's 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 a virtual virtual social platform that's built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. So it's owned and operated by its members, mm-hmm. and um, there's a developer community who build experiences on land. So each plot of land is essentially an NFT. Um, and we've, we've, we've partnered with them. We've got a plot of land we're developing this year for brand experiences. Okay. So you've, you've gone to Decentraland and partnered with them. You've got your plot land. You're having a massive after party and monkey shoulders. 
sorry, Monkey Shoulder is is sponsoring it um, and getting DJs on board as well. Yeah, so it was it was an interesting one. So the the opportunity basically they're all already going to be running this this four day music festival and they had some big names playing and Paris Hilton was even going to be doing a DJ set. She's big into the NFT space, so kind of made sense for her to be there aren't all celebrities oh well of course you know well go <laughs> go where the money is eh um or at least where the hype is anyway um and and so what what we did with 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 sam's team was um we we took a skills and crafty cuts to their their kind of xr studio at yahoo and and filmed them in 3d essentially and filmed them playing this this new 45 minute dj set um captured that content um, it was then shown in, in, in amazing quality and, and um, shown at the after party. We put out content on social afterwards and we um, we also put a link to the, the DJ set itself in Mixcloud. And there was a whole kind of ecosystem or constellation of content that sat around this this festival. But it's, you know, it, it still feels a little bit kind of out there, you know, and it, it, it's still, it's not that easy to necessarily understand unless you've got, a bit of a, a background in it, or you've got a great team like the, the guys at Yahoo to help translate that, you know, alongside us as the agency. And we're also very fortunate to work with, you know, innovative clients. Um, and, and one of those kind of leading lights is that is, is was the lead on this project, Sean Veeman over at Monkey Shoulder. Um, and he and I have been working together on quite a few projects around kind of NFTs or gaming. And this opportunity came up and I thought, well, it, it feels kind of perfect. Funnily enough, got the proposal from Sam, sent it to the client. I went away on my honeymoon for three weeks, came back and they were already planning the production schedule. So the brand jumped on it um, and they saw it as that kind of perfect testing ground. Okay. Just want to get a few more details about what that might look like for somebody who attended the after party. Firstly, how many people did you have attend the after party and and how were they interacting um, with Monkey Shoulder and, and the event itself? So yeah, there's a, there a couple of ways in. You, you basically, you, you, you turn up as your virtual avatar in a, a 3D virtual kind of festival environment. And you could stroll around, you could uh, watch different artists, but because we were at the very end of the festival as it's after party, you know, all signs pointed towards the monkey shoulder stage. Um, and when you got there, you could see the two DJs, their, their virtual kind of avatars uh, performing this, this gig. We also created clothing, virtual clothing as NFTs to see what the appetite was from people t- to uh, capture those those items. You know, you basically, you, you, you would normally buy them, but we, we gave them away for free just to see what the, the uptake would be. And everything sold out in, in, in record time. And yeah, so we, we, we learned a lot throughout that process, but also it's not just about the experience itself, but it's about how you then... Uh, capture content, use that content externally, you know, use it in paid media, which we did through social and through Yahoo, um, and compare that with how you've, you know, put brand assets out in the past. And I think that's that's the thing. It's not just what is this one-off activation going to do for the brand, but it's what do we learn from it um, and, and how do we compare that in a fair way with other assets that we've promoted in the past. Oh, picking up that, what, what did you learn from? What were some of the key lessons that, that you got from this experience? And and I guess the other thing I wanted to ask as well, I know yet, yet again, it's we're still in the infancy really when it comes to activations in this space. Uh, how do you measure success um, when you run these sorts of campaigns? We learned a lot about how people experience live events in these virtual environments. We learned a lot about 
our existing audience and how they react to the content that we've produced around that. Um, we learned a huge amount about the production process. That's another thing. You know, a lot of these experiences rely on new ways of capturing content. But that, for a lot of brands, and I think for, for Monkey Shoulder, was was a really important learning as well as, you know, the hype that we got around being one of the first brands to do this. Mm. I will actually ask you that, Sam, in terms of, from your perspective, what were some of the key learnings? And Max did mention earlier that, you know, these these sorts of activations now are uh, must-have um, in, in the pitch process. So there's clearly a lot of interest there. But, you know, as, as we, we all know with, with this industry, sometimes things can be uh, put on upon put on to brief some purely because brands think they have to do it or it's the latest trend when there's no real genuine need for it. But what are some of the things that you've learned from this experience and others working on, on these sorts of activations? Going back to when, why we first got involved in the Metaverse Festival was we actually we, we worked on two performances. We had the opening night headliner, Nina Nesbitt, who's a Scottish singer-songwriter. And because she was a name and she was the opening night headliner, Decentraland wanted her to be an avatar in keeping with the look and feel and the aesthetic of their platform and a lot of the artists were sending in either green screen video or video and you know or maybe it's them the dj set with some graphics behind them but it was them and it kind of breaks the um, immersion if what you're seeing is video inside this kind of sort of low poly stylized aesthetic so so we did the opening night festival and that's 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 when we we've got talking to the central about potential for the after party for, for monkey shoulder I think that's part of the opportunity with any of these kind of virtual worlds is being authentic in the space, both in terms of how you talk to the audience, but also what it looks like and how it's produced and working with game engines in that shift from 2D content production to 3D content production, that's going to be accelerated even more now. So using, in this instance, we used motion capture, we created the avatars, uh, we rigged them. We used the Unreal Engine, the game engine that powers Fortnite, and lots of virtual production in our studio to create this essentially st- live stream into a virtual platform. We created a stage in Decentraland that was Monkey Shoulder branded. We had Monkey Shoulder bottles on the bar, as as Max mentioned. We created the NFT wearables. Again, a different kind of pipeline in terms of creating in a three D tool and then exporting them into this platform and minting them. So there's there's so many different elements to this uh, activation that yeah i think i think a big a big trend and a big need is going to start to be how you how you start your planning in terms of content with 3d and how that can allow the assets that you create as a, as a brand to be sweated across multiple platforms that could be across ar could be across vr could be output as video and i think that's why virtual production and game engine are going to become more and more important in terms of kind of the more specific learnings from this project there are even just things about how it's signposted at the event how long after the headliner finishes should the should the after party start you know there was a gap we, we lost a few people in between you know the 20 minutes or so that we saw from the beginning of the Paris Hilton set to the after party um a few bits around you know how it's promoted we only have three weeks to go from as a production cycle so you know it was it was a really tight turnaround it was, <laughs> it was, it was quite, like i said I, I went on holiday thinking hey this will be this will take a little while but yeah. no yeah so there was there was a very very short turnaround so there's learnings from that and things you know things we would we would change next time um you know i think if, if, if we're doing it again we would look at you know what's is there a more kind of robust and interesting nft strategy around the wearables does it unlock more community benefits you know okay great 
two and a half thousand people now have a monkey shoulder crafty cuts t-shirt or hoodie or you know whatever essential land okay how do we build a community around those people can we start to bring airdrop experiences to them and, and, and community benefits to them and i think that's what you know some of the benefits in general around brands in the space that's the element of it that i think is taking off more now than perhaps a year ago it's about oh ownership now it's about utility it's about if I buy into this experience or this project or this brand in the metaverse, what do I get back as a consumer? Do I get IP ownership of, of that brand? Do I get community benefits, exclusive events, valuable NFTs, airdrops to me? Um, can I monetize that brand myself? Because that's what's happening with things like Board Ape Yacht Club is that you know, they're giving away, when you, when you buy a Board Ape, you buy the IP, you own the IP, you can do what you want with it. We're seeing virtual bands pop up with these IPs and book deals and movie deals being signed for this, you know, PNG, <laughs> essentially. But because they own the rights to it, they can, you can build a story about it. I think learning, you know, taking the time to plan that side of it again, had we had more time, we probably would have done a bit, bit more of that. But as a test and as a, a first step, everyone was really happy with the the result. I wanted to sort of bring Korea in, into the discussion as well, looking at it more with your you know, strategy hat. Uh, what are the real benefits for brands and why should they get involved in the metaverse? Uh, I'm really interested to hear your, your perspective, Karina. Yeah, I guess from, from my perspective, it's kind of taking it back to the basics. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, all the, the complex technologies that are involved in setting up some of these things. But really at the heart of it, it's, you know, the basics of understanding your audience. You know, Sam talks a lot about this. What's actually the value that you're going to be adding to them? And I think when you, you know, when I go back to some of my points at the beginning and we think about gaming kind of being, you know, laying a lot of the groundwork here, well, think of some of the principles that apply there, you know, how can you, you know, really add value to a community? How can you create a community space? Um, how can you, you know, really integrate within that platform, you know? And also it's not all about, you know, making money and selling things. It is about building community and, and you know, enhancing that kind of social element to things. And I guess at, at the end of the day, it really is about being authentic to your brand. Max talks about monkey shoulder, you know, that was adding value because it was taking, you know, a challenge that they had and not being able to get all their bartenders together. And how can you add value to that community? So that doesn't have to be sponsoring a, a metaverse festival. And I'm sorry if I scared anyone with my zombies chasing me down the road. But, you know, actually what that could just be for your brand is, you know, taking dropping your product into the real world using AR, you know, and lots of traditional brands are starting to, to play in this space. It, it doesn't have to be headlining the Metaverse Festival right now, but maybe it might be someday. Fantastic. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, we're just out of time, but I'd like to thank Karina, Max and Sam for joining us and unlocking the potential of the Metaverse. Uh, it's certainly a rapidly developing space that the campaign team will continue to follow closely. If you'd like to read more about the Metaverse and um, anything else that's going on at Adland, please do visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletters. This podcast was produced by Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. I hope you enjoyed it and will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.